Alright everybody, welcome back to the Pirates Corner Podcast, episode number 17. I'm Ryan Miller, here again with Josh Ruga, and today we are going to be doing a podcast kind of previewing the 2020 season. The Pirates are 0-2, a lot of people are freaking out, probably shouldn't, it's only two games. Um, but, I mean, they, they've played alright, like the first game they battled back twice, um, nothing that they could really do about yesterday, I mean... The bullpen is just, and that's one of our topics today, the bullpen is not doing too well right now. Not sharp enough. No, definitely not. So, the topics that we're going to have today, we're going to start off with some umpire talk, and then we're going to go to Gregory Polanco's impact when he returns. We're going to talk about a pair of non-roster invitees that made the team, Nick Turley and Philip Evans. Then we're going to go into the bullpen and then we're going to talk about COVID-19 a little bit and how that affects the Pirates. So, Josh, I know this robo-umpire talk was brought up by you, so I'm going to let you start talking about the umpires. Yeah, I'm just going to say this right up front. I was not a fan of the idea of robo-umpires. I like the uh, kind of what what we have going on with umpires calling a uh, pitch that hits the glove uh, a strike when a, a pitcher executes. Like, maybe I'm a little bit biased on the, the pitching side of things. Like, I, I prefer pitching over hitting. Uh, but but that that's just me. I like I like when the pitcher is rewarded for, for something like that. Um, but yesterday, I saw something that, that just got me so irritated. I'm ready to go with robo-umpires. Um, Adam Wainwright did not hit the glove. Yadier Molina moved his glove over the left-handed batter's box line when he caught this ball. Okay, It was a 2-1 count to Kevin Newman. Adam Wainwright had just walked in a run. He had walked John Ryan Murphy. Okay, That's the guy he just walked. And uh, the umpire, the home plate umpire, I'm not sure. I'm not even Ed sure. Ed Hickox. Okay. Adam Wainwright fan right there. Um, he gave Adam Wainwright the call on this, this curveball that was never close to the strike zone and ended up uh, at least six inches outside. Um, it was high coming in when it, when it was over the plate, and by the time it broke, it completely avoided the plate. So from his view... He never sees it over any white of the plate. Um, like, it's coming in, it's not a strike. It's just not a strike. Uh, Kevin Newman had to swing at not a strike curveball on the next pitch, and he put it in place softly to short, but that pitch was closer. So, being that um, <clears throat> Newman had this situation where a pitch so far outside the strike zone put him in, into a two-strike count, and he gets something very similar to it on the next pitch, except even closer to the strike zone. It's only logical, as a good baseball player, he, he swings at it, puts the ball in play, makes the final out of the inning. In an inning where if Wainwright had fallen behind Newman 3-1 in that count and has to bring a fastball or a hanging curveball over the plate, uh, Newman could have blown that inning wide open. Guess what? A robo-umpire yesterday had a chance to change the outcome of the game. That game was, was 1-1 for, for it, was, it was a war of attrition for a, a decent amount of time into that game. Yeah. I know that the first game, a lot of people had some complaints with Jerry Meals. He kind of settled in towards the end of the game. But um, 
one hitter I remember in particular is Gerard Dyson. Yeah. He was getting painted on the corners. Pitches were outside. They were inside. Everything was a strike. And, I mean, he had some words for him, but it's probably like, like, come on, Jerry. Like, I'm trying to hit here. You're calling pitches three inches off the plate. Yeah. Um, so I know that he was pretty upset. You said that he, he kind of settled in after a little while. Yeah, well, Meals seemed to have a, a pretty consistent strike zone that was wide on one side of the plate. And to me, with an umpire actually making the call on something like that, I'm, I'm okay with that if it's consistent for both sides. But one thing I know for sure is a robo-umpire is not going to lie if the, the ball hit the, the box. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. The Pirates don't get a smaller zone that they throw to uh, than the Cardinals. So th- that's that's the, the thing that has me in favor of the robo-umpire is um, fairness to the game. I, I don't want to see my team that's an underdog from a payroll perspective and an un- underdog from a talent perspective going into a game where, where they're going to uh, have pretty much be robbed of the opportunity to compete at some point um, because in at bat, a key at bat with runners in scoring position is taken away from them. They're taken out of the at bat by uh, a terrible strike two or strike three call. Uh, yeah, that just doesn't sit well with me. Yeah. Um, I know that old-time baseball fans and Yinzers alike, they would say that they hate the robo-umpire because it's different. It's moving towards a new technology-based part of baseball. Um, but you, you have to realize that, I mean, you're going to be upset when, you know, 3-2 count, bases loaded with two outs, ninth inning, trying to walk it off. A pitch that's four inches off the plate gets called a strike, and they ring them up on it, and your team loses the game. As important as that might be, it's it's not really it's it's kind of like you got to move forward at some point. It's it's kind of it's a hard subject because I mean at first like Josh said I didn't really like the robo umpires either and I don't really like the new rule of the runner starting at second in the extra innings. But yeah. I understand why it's done because 60 games in what 66 days or something crazy yeah. like that. You can't have late games you can't have double headers. That's why games get called whenever due to rain. Um, so I understand why it would be done, and I'm definitely with it now. I don't think they're going to do something where you have a like robot behind the plate calling. I mean, some people think that there's not going to be an umpire at all. No, he'll um, be there, but well, he'll have the, his phone exactly. right to call for him. The most realistic thing I could think of personally is having the umpire with AirPods, because we've seen this in the Atlantic League, the independent league that MLB was using to test out some new rules. Wearing AirPods behind the plate, when the pitch comes in, he gets the call through his ear, and he makes the call. So that's something that would kind of perfect the strike zone a little bit. Now, obviously, with taller players like, you know, Josh Harrison isn't going to be the same as, like, Josh Bell. Yeah. But... That's just something that's going to have to develop, the strike zone from the knee to the numbers type thing. Um, so I'm with it. I well, know that it's you are too. knee to roughly just above the belt somewhere. Well, um, the, I, the yeah, box. Yeah. yeah. I've seen, like, the middle of your chest. Yeah. Well, they'll, they'll go with something pretty generic in this yeah. case probably. Yeah. And and the pitcher will just have to know, know the strike zone as well. And. Uh, for for a taller hitter, the strike zone they have a little bit more to work with there. So 
it, it's not a big deal one way or the other. Um, you can't really argue with the, the computer unless the computer has a malfunction. So, yeah. And then when the computer has a malfunction, you go back to the classic umpiring. I mean, if it ever happened, if, you know... There was a crazy power outage in the middle of the game or whatever. The yeah, well, what down. I was getting at is, like, if um, there's, like, a pitch that's, like, six feet outside that it's showing in the middle of the strike zone or something like that. That's all the kinks that they're going to have to work out Yeah, yeah. before they make it. All right, so we'll move on to Polanco right now. It was, um, it was made known to the public the other day that Polanco is COVID negative now. And he is back at PNC Park working out, and I assume that he will play. He's scheduled to play tomorrow, uh, tomorrow versus the, the Brewers. Home opener. Yeah. yeah. So that's good news for the Pirates. Um, we have a couple interesting outfielders like Gerard Dyson, who is obviously known for speed in his glove, and then we have Guillermo Heredia, who is kind of known for the same set of things. Um, nobody really too offensive powered in that sense um, but Polanco definitely I mean we know the struggles of Polanco's defense but I mean everybody was pretty hype about him coming into spring training and yeah and he kind of ironed out the, the defensive issues yeah, to, yeah. to finish up uh, I mean I'm not going to call him a gold glove or anything but he's he's solid out there Yeah, and and the, the thing that we have working in our favor with Polanco's defense is his arm appears to be back to, to normal like Polanco from 2017, where you see him making crazy throws to gun people out of third base, yeah, to gun yeah. people out at the plate. So, Polanco's impact is going to be pretty significant because um, this guy did two things this offseason. Okay, he, he got his arm healthy, which is going to help his defense. So, um, it, it's hard to say where his reads and jumps are at, everything like that. He's still going to have some of the the lanky outfielder um, issues that he's had in the past, but that hasn't hurt. Like, he, he's kind of um, tightened that up a bit recently, and he did that without the throwing arm last year. He, he was able to tighten that up and yeah. and make some plays uh, with, with range um, last, last season and getting a good jump. Uh, but the other thing that he's tightened up is his swing. Um I saw that bat in one of the uh, inter-squad scrimmage games where he took uh, Nick Birdie back up the middle for, for an RBI hit in a really, really tough count uh, after battling, fouling off some uh, tough two-strike pitches against a guy with just massively uh, great stuff out of the bullpen. So... Uh, seeing that from Polanco, being able to hang in there against a really, really tough pitcher. Um, and <clears throat> I, I had high expectations for him as a run producer with, before I saw that. Now now you've got Polanco back. He's healthy. So you can expect this guy to be like a, a three, three-war three type player um, with none of that actually factoring in in a 60-game season. Like if, yeah. he, if he goes for 1.5 war this, this season in 60 games, that would be... That would be huge. Um, yeah. Or 1.5 war uh, total production. Uh, I'm not sure if they adjusted the measurements of all of that. Uh, well, yeah, it's going to be adjusted to the, the win total in full of the 60-game season. If so. Polanco gets back to the Polanco of old, that'd be, that'd be good. Yeah, he was um, a good solid player. The past couple of years, obviously, he's battled injuries, but um, 
I mean, testing positive for COVID, he only missed a series. Yeah. Some people are saying, oh, Polanco, he's injury prone again. But, I mean, what are you going to do? If you pick it up, you pick it up. You won't know where you got it. It's not really your fault, per se. But now he's back, and he's probably going to end up producing again. Yeah, the only other thing I've got on the outfield situation is uh, Guillermo Heredia it has like taken some awful at-bats in competitive uh, game speed environment against the Cardinals now in the regular season. He took some pretty decent at-bats against Cleveland in the preseason. Um, and, and that series, for the most part, appeared to be played with a regular season-like intensity. Um, so it was promising to see him take uh, Clevenger deep the other way and to have that two-run single against Zach Plesak, um like he did a couple of balls that he ripped. But this guy, he he is in his own head big time at the plate. He gave away two at-bats Friday night. Yeah. Um, he gave away the, uh, an at-bat against Wainwright with the bases loaded and one out uh, yesterday. Uh, yeah, th- this is uh, this is a tough situation because um, they they don't have much and they just need Polanco to, to get back and Polanco getting hurt kind of showed you the the effect that uh, losing losing a guy like him can have on the lineup it just it just throws everything from a run production standpoint off um, I know they've been struggling to get on base uh, against. Uh, Wainwright yesterday, and then the, the day before they they did a decent job against uh, Cardinals starting pitcher. Uh, yeah, Jack Flaherty. Yeah, yeah, Flaherty is a really good starting pitcher. So being able to work um, work counts against him and put the ball in play with authority a couple of times against him was nice to see. But yeah, as a whole, um, the the depth of Polanco will be very welcome back, uh, especially going against. A hard thrower like Hauser on Monday in the home opener. Yeah. All right, so next we're going to get into some non-roster invitees that made the team. Um, We know that a couple people who fans are probably more familiar with, Derek Holland and Robbie Erlin, both made the squad. But to start off, we're going to talk about a guy named Philip Evans. Now, Philip Evans, a good friend of Joe Musgrove, Joe kind of recruited him into the Pirates. He's a San Diego-born native. Um, and I believe that Philip Evans and Joe Musgrove played either against each other or with each other in high school. Yeah, they played against each other. Played against each other. Okay. So, Philip Evans, I mean, he's an interesting guy. He was drafted in the 15th round in 2011 by the Mets. Um, he was kind of like a guy who would come up and fill a spot for the Mets. First year, he only played 19 games. That was in 2017. 2018, he played in 15 games with the Mets. After that, let me see on this transaction page, um, he elected free agency after the 2018 season. He got picked up by the Cubs and was invited to spring training with them. So, last year at AAA Iowa, he hit a 283, 371, 470 slash line with 17 homers and 61 RBIs. 
with 74 strikeouts and 466 at bats, 130 games. Um, 57 walks to go along with those yep. 74 strikeouts, which kind of paints a picture of what Philip Evans is all about. Yeah. So, so I like <coughs> him personally. I think he's going to be a good tool for the Pirates this season. Um, he is 27, so he's kind of like getting up there in age, but he's a guy who could work off the bench for the Pirates for... Well, he's like, not really a prospect, so... No, his, yeah, exactly. Yeah, his he's age not really doesn't a prospect. really um, play, play a huge role. Being that he's made the team, okay, he's got a couple of things working for him. He's got sneaky power, yeah. which kind of showed up in the, the Pacific Coast League last year for the Cubs. Um, he He's 5'10", about 210 pounds, so he's got a solid build. Um, and so he can drive the ball a little bit. Um, he Throughout his minor league career, he only had a 388 slugging percentage, though. Uh, last year was the, the first year where he really uh, put it together. Well, the last two years were the, the years that he kind of really put it together and showed that he could drive the ball. Um, being that he doesn't strike out a terrible amount, um, he, and he's shown a good eye at the plate, so he walks and he doesn't strike out much. He's a good fit for the Pirates. Um, Especially because Cabrian Hayes is yeah. down in Altoona now. He's a guy who can provide some really good third-base defense. I'm looking at his stats right now. Um, last season with Iowa, he played 15 games at first base, he played 15 games at second base, and he played 95 games at third base. So yeah. He's a guy who can kind of move around the infield. He has played shortstop in the past, and he has worked in the outfield. But you don't want him to play shortstop. You, no, you can play him no, corner yeah. outfield. You can play him third base. He's a guy who can turn into kind of like a super utility type player. Um, I mean, he can play all the infield positions. Maybe shortstop not well, but yeah. he, you can stick him there if you need to. And corner outfield. If that's a direction that the Pirates want to move with Phillip Evans, I'd be down for it 100%. Because... Um, he has some left in the tank. I mean, 27 isn't young, yeah. but it isn't old, and he's not a prospect. I'm going to throw a comparison out here uh, for, for a guy that most Pirates fans know. Uh, Steve Pierce. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you, you guys will see the comparison right away. The prospect status isn't really comparable because Steve Pierce was a pretty big prospect coming up through the Pirates system, won minor league player of the year the one year. Well, the Pirates are now benefiting from somebody's version of Steve Pierce. Like, there were some expectations with the Mets that Phillip Evans would, would do something with him when he was still a prospect. Yeah. Um, now, we, we've got a guy who's similar height, uh, similar build to Steve Pierce. He uh, defends third base, though. So, you, you've got that added value. And uh, the the bat seems to be trending upward. It It's definitely arrow up. Yeah. And uh, because of that, you, you've got a you've got a guy who can kind of work with Moran. Okay, Moran gets time at DH, time at first base when Bell's DH and stuff like that. Because Moran's bat is not like so so terrible that you need him out of the lineup. Uh, Moran's fine as long as he's not playing a, a position in the field where he has significant defensive responsibility, which is anywhere from third base, second base, where he played last year. Corner outfield. No, that is way too much defensive responsibility for Moran. He's playing first base today. 
Yeah, and I, I'm I'm perfectly fine with that. I I mentioned third base is primary position in uh, that list of positions that's having too much defensive response. He's not rangy. Yeah, he's just yeah. So Philip Evans kind of fills that hole until I don't know. It might not be this season that we see Key Brian Hayes. It's hard to say with the sixty games. I I don't have a a crystal ball, so I I do not know the answer to that. But he helps ease the the pain. Of, of not having Key Brian Hayes, uh, at least to start this season. And then, as we're seeing with Cole Tucker, this situation with the um, condensed season is kind of hurting these uh, top prospects for the Pirates. Like, Tucker is hurting a little bit on the development side right now. He's not able to get into the swing of things. It's like, you know, get out there, get your at-bats. Yeah. You've got limited opportunity where... Uh, they may have to figure something out with uh, Cole Tucker, but that's where Philip Evans helps. He fills that gap, gives us uh, a, the chance to play good defense uh, on the infield all around. And, uh, yeah, I, I wish him the best this season. I hope he hits a bunch of bombs, like 12 of them in 60 games, something like that. I like these interesting players. Yeah. Just guys like Philip Evans and the next guy <coughs> who we're going to talk about, Nick Turley. So, Nick Turley... Um, made the Pirates out of spring training. He's a really interesting guy. So he was a starter in the minors with the Twins. He's played in independent league ball. He's been on the Somerset Patriots of the Atlantic League um, and I think a couple other teams as well. But in 2008, he was drafted in the 50th round, pick number 1502. So this guy was as close to Mr. Irrelevant as he could have been. Um, so, for this guy to come as far as he has, it's it's definitely interesting. He's a left-handed pitcher, former starter in the minors, like I said. Yeah, 176 appearances in the minor leagues, 139 yeah. starts. Yeah. So, he made his MLB debut at the Twins in 2017. He had an 11.21 ERA with a 2.15 whip in 17 and two-thirds innings. But the interesting thing, I'm going to bring up Baseball Savant for this. Um, Baseball Savant, if nobody else uses it, you definitely should because it shows some good saber metrics and stuff along those lines, especially for a guy like Nick Turley because when you look at his stats from 2017, maybe some stats in the minors, you'll be like, okay, well, whatever kind of thing. Um, Maybe not the greatest player, but when you look at his Baseball Savant page in 2017, the year that he had an 11.21 ERA, he had a fastball spin in the 99th percentile, which is the best that you can get. So his fastball moves and his curveball spin was in the 85th percentile. So both of those pitches are some of the best in the league in 2017. Of course, it was a small sample size, but what they saw there um, made these sabermetrics possible, where you look at a guy who has been rehabbing for three years. The Pirates have stuck with him. I mean, usually if a guy's rehabbing for three years, they're just going to straight up cut him. Yeah. Kind of like a Tom Kohler type of player. But they stuck with Nick Turley for whatever reason. Maybe it was because of his pitches, uh, because of his break that he has. But um, he made the team, and he's finally going to get back on the mound. He pitched yesterday, 13-pitch inning. Uh, no strikeouts, but 
but had the ball put put, yeah. put in play softly against him. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the the one thing I noticed yesterday, I was paying close attention to to his pitching. Uh, this guy, if he puts it together, he he may help us um, forget about Felipe, whatever his last name is. Yeah, uh, yeah. So he's a left-hander who's sitting 94-95 with a really good curveball, and that's not the only uh, off-speed pitch that he brings to the table. This guy has has some stuff, and being that he didn't really struggle with his command yesterday, and he looks to be, be comfortable in a one-inning role, it looks like that's where he's, he's going to be. He's six foot four, two 235 pounds, and he's a left-hander who throws hard. Yeah. Um, this, this could be the, the, the answer, because we know Robbie Erlin is not the answer as the Pirates left-handed specialist out of the bullpen. So, yeah, um, Nick Turley looks like he, he's going he's gonna to see a pretty significant role. And Derek Shelton using him the way he used him yesterday um, in a relatively close game. Turley, Turley appeared before the, the game was blown open um, after the, the Kyle Crick miscues on the mound. But, uh, yeah, that, that leads us into the, the bullpen struggles. So, yeah, this is an interesting topic. So, I, I said earlier in the podcast how uh, the, the series against Cleveland was played at regular season intensity. And the Cleveland um, offensive lineup is a pretty talented offensive lineup. And, and they've raked against the, the Pirates bullpen. Um, the, the middle game of that series, well... The first game of that series, it was starting pitchers, and they just absolutely shut uh, Cleveland down. Three innings scoreless from Joe Musgrove, two from Brault, two from Cool, and then all of a sudden Crick gets lit up in the uh, – yeah. well, Crick didn't have much command in the eighth inning. And um, then Birdie ended up giving up a run in the ninth inning of that ball game. Then in the middle game of that series – um, Stratton came in, didn't look super sharp. He since rebounded because game three he, he appeared and he looked much, much better. His fastball was sitting 93-94 instead of the less than sharp 91 we saw. And then um, Stratton appeared in yesterday's game and got some outs for the Pirates um, in a relatively high leverage situation where there were runners on base to... <clears throat> get out of the uh, the first inning he pitched. He appeared in the fourth with two outs, and then he, he got the, the next three outs in the next in the fifth inning. Um, so Stratton's rebounded, but um, it looks like Richard Rodriguez, who gave up four runs and two home runs against Cleveland in the middle game of that series, and then appears Friday night in the opener, uh, the regular season opener, and he gives up a two-run bomb to uh, Paul DeYoung. He, he doesn't appear sharp, and it's just a matter of, like, he doesn't have great, great stuff. Yeah. But he's capable of being tough from a deception standpoint and where he places his pitches. Um, Rich Rod needs to be the man at the top of the zone or hitting the bottom of the zone to generate a ground ball here and there. He's not a, he's not a sinker baller. But, yeah, that, that just details the struggles of those guys. 
and we haven't seen uh, Keanu Kella uh, yet. <coughs> he has COVID nineteen, and, and uh, as a, asymptomatic, he can't get a uh, a negative test yet. It just is yeah. lingering in his system. I mean, so, you gotta. He it, had a very uneven uh, twenty nineteen. So yeah, exactly, and it's it's really interesting because. Kello's not here yet. We don't know when he'll be here. Edgar Santana got suspended. Yeah. He won't be here this year. Kyle Crick's struggling. Uh, Rich Rod's struggling. Michael Feliz will have his struggles. He'll be okay. Michael Feliz seems to have figured something yeah, out. And yeah. And that, that's my take on it. Like, <clears throat> if I had my way right now, uh, I would be using Feliz and Holmes in the eighth inning, kind of sharing that inning. And then... Uh, Birdie in the ninth, just yeah. because of the dominant stuff. I don't think that Birdie has the mindset. Like, <coughs> Birdie just appears just a little bit timid. Um, where Blake Cedarland, very similar pitcher, very similar stuff. It, he's got some swag. He knows his stuff plays. Where Birdie's out there trying to be fine with a 100 mile per hour fastball. It doesn't make any sense. But, um, as far from a, a stuff standpoint, I think that Birdie, you can get him to the level where he's confident pitching and being dominant in the ninth inning, just because his stuff is so good. You got to rely on the guys like <coughs> Birdie, Stratton, uh, Nick Turley, guys. Clayton Holmes. Yeah, Clay Holmes. I mean, you have to have these guys step up and and pitch really well because. Most of our guys in the bullpen, like Crick, like Rich Rod, they're just struggling right now. Crick can't find his stride this second. I mean, I'm not sure if he's ever going to find his stride this season. He might come back to the Kyle Crick of old. But, I mean, right now he's he's just not looking good. So, it'll be interesting he's to see. He's scared of his fastball. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Um, we know Kyle Crick has some good stuff. His slider, his fastball, both of them move, but... But um, his, his fastball is only sitting 90, 90, 91, 92 right which now. Which is so. nuts because he was hitting like 97 last year yeah. on a consistent basis. I don't know what happened. I don't know if he's nursing an injury. You think he might be? I mean, there's a possibility, I guess, he might be injured in some way. I don't know. He, he looked a little bit defeated on the mound. Like, he's, he's like lost in his head. Yeah. I, I'm not a psychologist, but that, that's just my evaluation of watching him. Cause he, he's like he's like hauling it. Um, uh, Bader hits a little chopper um, towards first base, but kind of in between the pitcher's mound and, and first base. He goes hauling it over there, goes to pick up the ball, comes up with nothing. He leaves it behind, and Bader safe at first. Okay, so um, he makes another pitch. Uh, I forget who the batter was, but. Uh, later in that inning, where it ended up uh, getting blown blown open, uh, the next batter, he had the final out. Okay, so he makes the pitch. He lands in not so great fielding position. There's a chopper up over the mound. He dives back and thinks he fields the ball, gets up and starts towards first base and has an empty glove. Turns around and the ball's sitting on the mound. Yeah. So he lets another man reach with, with just panic, out of control. Like, <clears throat> I don't know what is going on with Kyle Crick right now, but there's just something not right there for 
the, the game just appears too fast for him right now. And it's not like um, football where you're getting hit from all different directions when you catch the ball sometimes. So Yeah. Well, talking about the bullpen and talking about Keone Kella will bring us into the next topic of how COVID-19 will affect the Pirates. Um, so, Josh, I'll let you start with this one. I know that you had a couple different things to say on this topic. Yeah, well, we've already seen it affect the Pirates. We've already seen it affect the bullpen. Um, and just to re- revisit the last topic really quickly, one of the solutions is going to be Blake Cedar. Okay, and this brings us back to the, the COVID-19 portion of it. This man tested positive for COVID-19 coming into camp. Like Key Brian Hayes, he's now in the satellite camp in Altoona. Both of these guys are players that are ready and able and willing to be contributors to the 2020 Pittsburgh Pirates. COVID-19 slowed them from the preparation needed to get in front of the coaches to say, okay, yes, we're going with this guy. He's the man. Blake Cedarland, you're our closer. Key Brian Hayes, you're our starting third baseman. There was a chance that that, that was going to like, that could have happened yeah. if neither one of them t- t- tested positive for it coming into camp. And on the other front, we are without the actual closer, Keona Kella. We are without, for this opening series against the Cardinals, one of the Pirates' best run producers, Gregory Polanco. Um, if Josh Bell were to get hurt, or if Josh Bell were to test positive for, for COVID-19. Now that Polanco's back, it would help ease that. Yeah, but yeah. just say, for example, Josh Bell tested positive for COVID-19 before Friday night's game. Who was going to produce runs in this series? Yeah. It, it was it was going to come down to um, basically role players being asked to produce John runs. Ryan Murphy. <laughs> Jacob Stallings, you're the man. Keep him yeah. in the lineup. Um, yeah. So that that's what I have on the effects of COVID-19. Uh, what, what do you got for us? You know, people are going to keep testing positive. It's just inevitable. Um, you can't really do anything about it other than just wait it out, hope that they don't get too sick where they have to like take a whole season off. But that's the lingering thing that's going to hurt the Pirates all year. Because, like you said, if we come out and we have Josh Bell test positive, and then if we have, you know, let's just say, for example, like a, like a Joe Musgrove or like a top pitcher in the pitching staff te- test positive for COVID, it's going to be a little bit hard to even that out. And it's a struggle for the whole MLB. Every single team is going to have people test positive. I don't know if there's been a team that hasn't had at least one person in their organization test positive yet. Yeah. So it hurts everybody and it affects everybody. It's going to be an ongoing struggle. But the way that the Pirates roster is kind of structured, it's going to be especially worse for them, I guess, just because of the players that they have and the way that the lineup is supposed to work. If a key player like Brian Reynolds or Josh Bell goes down, it's really going to hurt them. And you got to look at the other side of it, too. Injuries aren't gone. Yeah. People can still get hurt. So, I mean, it is only 60 games but it might be a little bit of a struggle to the end. Um, and that's that's like it for everybody. It's just whoever survives it the most, whoever yeah. does well surviving COVID-19 and injuries, 
will do better among all MLB teams. So I think that that's how it's going to affect the Pirates. I got one more thing on that. Okay. Yeah, so basically, if if you look at Josh Bell and Brian Reynolds as the superstar uh, position players on this team, your your next two best complementary role players to them are Greg Polanco and Key Brian Hayes. So both those guys tested positive for COVID-19. So like Ryan was saying, it wiped out the, the opportunity for two key um, role players to, yeah. to, to play a role against St. Louis. So, yeah, let's, uh, let's just take it into the, the preview and predictions for, for this 60-game season. We already got off to a uh, flying start at 0-2, so what's, what's uh, the rest of the 58 games got for us? Um, I'm going to go out and say that I think that we're going to have a high draft pick. I don't think that right now the situation that the Pirates are in with a 60-game season with the people who are currently injured, I don't think that they're going to do too well. Um, and that's, I mean, I like a lot of the players on the team. I like Kevin Newman. I like Brian Reynolds. I like guys like Stephen Brault. I like guys like Nick Birdie, guys who have some upside. But if I had to predict... I don't think that they're going to end up on top of any division. I don't think that they're going to win. I hope that they win, obviously, and I'm not going to be too negative like most people are, but um, I think next year the Pirates will be in a better situation, possibly trading Keona Kella sometime this year. They could bring back some prospects, maybe a guy who's in AAA getting ready to go. Um, So, I mean, it'll be interesting. Like I said, probably not a lot of wins, but probably some good strides forward for the future definitely okay so i agree with you from the sense of the standpoint of hey things could just go horribly wrong with like key players yeah getting covid19 missing 14 days at a time and playing most likely 13 12 13 games in that stretch uh, but here's what i got on the the pirates I love this pitching staff. Like, it's underrated. Yeah, There's a lot no, of definitely, definitely. underrated guys on this team. And Josh Bell and Brian Reynolds are guys that are impact, superstar-level type of players. So there's two of them on this team, okay? And when Greg Polanco gets back in the lineup, if they decide to, to prioritize third-base defense, I see this team finishing around 500, okay? And with the expanded playoffs... That's flip a coin. They might be in. Okay. Uh, I hope that the extent, the extended playoffs, kind of work into the future a little bit because that yeah. that'll give the because the NL Central is so tough year in and year out. We got the Cardinals, the Cubs, the Brewers who can be sneaky good. So the extended playoffs could really give the Pirates a chance in the near future. Yeah, but here's what I got on the NL Central this this year. There is no dominant team no, in the NL Central. Nope. We're playing the best team in the NL Central right now. The the team that won the division last year in a division where nobody wanted it. Um, they're probably favored by a slim margin to repeat over the Reds. Everybody's giving love to the Reds, but I, they I lost to the Tigers it. yesterday. Um, as bad as yesterday's loss was, okay, the Pirates gave away a lot of runs. It's and, the bullpen and, struggles. Well, well, Crick made some pitches in that game. Okay, he made pitches. He he. 
essentially got six outs in the the inning and gave away some outs. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. And uh, <clears throat> the Pirates are just in a situation where, where not all of the pieces are in place. Monday, tomorrow, when they take the field against the Brewers, they should have a much better team on the field just by adding Polanco. So that's what I got. This, this team, if they finish with 27, 28, 29 wins, they got a chance to make it to the playoffs. Yep, for sure. All right, so that's all that we have for today's podcast. Do you have any closing thoughts or anything? Hey, go Bucks! Yeah. Get that win today. Mitch Keller, dominate. Strike out some Redbirds. Dakota Hudson is Sucks. the pitcher <laughs> yeah, who we're facing. Um, so we have a possibility that Troy will be coming to New Jersey Possibly. In a, a couple of weeks. Yeah, in a couple of weeks. Um, also, I just want to give a, a quick shout-out to uh, my fiance Liana Joy. Uh, she made an excellent uh, chicken stuffing casserole that Ryan and I enjoyed for lunch today. So, And you uh, you do like to give some food shout-outs, just like Christina out in Pittsburgh with the lobster yeah. and all that type of stuff. But, yeah, like we said, Troy might be coming. Expect another podcast if he does. Probably expect another one if he doesn't. Um, I think that we should probably do, like, bi-weekly, if, if that would make throughout sense. Throughout the season. Yeah. yeah, throughout the season. All right, so no more closing thoughts on the Pirates. Just go Bucks. Let's hope that they win today versus Dakota Hudson. We will see you guys in the next podcast. Thanks for listening.